0: The scripture lesson for today comes from the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah, beginning at the first verse. Hear the word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not comprehend. Make the mind of this people dull, and stop their ears, and shut their eyes, so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. And then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate. Until the Lord sends everyone far away, and vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land. Even if a tenth part remains in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Startle us, O God, with your word, with its grace and with its challenge. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We begin today with something of a history lesson. In the 8th century BC, a young man named Isaiah was living in Jerusalem. He lived during the time of four different kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. These were not the glory days of the kingdom of Israel. These were not the days of the triumphs of David or the wisdom of Solomon. By this time, that once great kingdom had divided into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel in the north, and in the south, the kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem was found. Each of these two kingdoms had its own king, and conflicts had arisen between them, weakening both of the kingdoms. In the meantime, the Assyrian Empire was on the rise, growing dramatically in the east. For the kings of Judah, the big political question was one of loyalties. Would they realign themselves with their fellow Israelites to the north? Would they put their faith in the God of Moses who had saved them? Or would they continue their petty struggle for local power? Would they bargain with the Assyrians against their own sisters and brothers? The kings of Judah chose the Assyrians, for they had succumbed to an age of greed and weak leadership. There was little principled leadership left in the kingdom, and the people in power chose to selfishly preserve what little they had rather than act together for the common good. Many of the common people followed one another of these inferior leaders feeling as if they had no choice. It was in these times that the young man, Isaiah, had a dream. For some strange reason, God put it on his heart that there was a different way to go, that in the midst of a culture that was crumbling around him, a person of faith and hope could still find something to live for. But the message of the dream was harsh. It suggested that when Isaiah spoke, most people were not going to listen, and that dark days were ahead. If you take a closer look at the language of this story, you will see some things. If you're familiar with the hymn, Here I Am, Lord, this is where it comes from. Here I am, Lord, is it I, Lord, You, ha- I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I will hold your people in my heart. It's a beautiful song. The chorus is beautiful. It's a story about hearing God's call and following the voice of God. But as the historical context suggests, This was not an easy time. It was not an easy time to follow God's call. And the verses that come next in Isaiah 6, the verses that are often not in the lectionary reading, but that I continued and read to you this morning, they bring home the harshness of the text. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go and say to this people, Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking But do not comprehend. Make the mind of this people dull. Stop their ears, shut their eyes. And Isaiah says, how long, O Lord? And the Lord says, until cities lie waste without inhabitants. Even if a tenth part remains in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled. The holy seed is the stump. These words do not suggest that Isaiah can go before the king or the people, preach a few nice sermons, and expect to fix things. No, quite to the contrary, the dream suggests that things are about to fall apart, that things will be broken for a long time. And because of this, Isaiah should commit himself to God and should encourage any who will listen to deepen their commitments to God, because the strength of God and nothing less is what it will take to weather the storm that is coming. And the storm came indeed. The northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians. Assyrians. And the southern kingdom was weakened considerably. And after all of the Assyrians fell away, the Babylonians took their place. And they completed the work of destroying the southern kingdom and its capital at Jerusalem. And the Babylonian conquering ushered in the darkest of times in the history of Israel. Some people see echoes of Isaiah's story going on around us today. Some see those threats of weak leadership and a cultural decline all around us in Western culture. It's hard not to see it in the church. The church in the West is experiencing a time of dramatic decline. I have spoken about this many times. Plenty of observers, liberals and conservatives alike, have cited their own ways in which the church has forgotten its way and lost its soul, and that it is bound to decline further before a rebirth can take place. It is as if, like an addict, there needs to be an experience of hitting bottom in order for new life to begin. The core message of this troubling passage, the core message is actually one of new life. Isaiah is being called for a reason. The final verse of the text speaks of a holy seed being planted in the days when Isaiah heard the call. There will be destruction, yes. The people will be dispersed, yes. Their homes and their fields will be lost and burned. This is what it would have looked like to have been a conquered people. But the harsh words go on to say that the burning, the destruction, it it is the harrowing, that farming turn, the harrowing, the, the breaking up of soil that will be needed in order for that holy seed to germinate and take root And grow again. Again, to explain some of this harsh language with the analogy of addiction, what a blessing it is when a person is finally able to recognize and name their need for help and to begin to turn their life around. Taking that step requires strength from beyond oneself. When a higher power is finally called upon, Then, new life can begin. The change does not happen overnight, but the seed is finally planted in fertile ground where it can grow. It is important to remember that the core message in this passage is of new life and hope. It is also important to remember that this is only chapter 6 of one of the longest books in the Bible. Isaiah is 66 chapters long. It is the product of not one, but at least three prophets in Israel, and it spans 300 years of history. The book of Isaiah will see the first kingdoms destroyed and the people sent into exile, but they will also witness God's mercy and God's care for the faithful in the midst of their darkest time. And they will see the return of the people to their home and hear of the hopes God has for the future. As you turn the pages of the book of Isaiah, many familiar words and phrases come for church people. We read in Isaiah 9 words, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That great light will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We will hear Isaiah cry in chapter 40, Comfort, O comfort my people. In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In chapter 55, we will hear that the mountains and the hills are about to burst into song and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And in chapter 65, we will hear the Lord say, I am about to create a new heavens and a new earth. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, thus says the Lord. A message of hope is on the way, but what now? What has to happen first? What are faithful people to do in times where we perceive the threats of misplaced loyalties and crumbling leadership and stumbling and shallow spirituality all around us? One example comes from another important time in history, another time when the church and the empire was on the verge of collapse. I wonder how many of you Remember what the church looked like during the Roman Empire? In the time of Jesus' ministry and the first couple of centuries after, the Roman Empire was largely hostile to the church. Many of you remember that from your history lessons or your personal reading. The empire was an oppressor of the church. But then, in the 4th century, the Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity, and Christianity became the official religion of the empire. The empire was already weakening by that time, and almost immediately after Constantine, the real collapse began. The empire split with an eastern capital in Constantinople. Battles and lands were lost. The Visigoths sacked Rome. There are echoes here in the internal strife, the decline, the presence of two capitals. There are echoes here of Israel and the Assyrians. And there are ways in which modern folks ask the same questions about the empires of today. The relationship between Christianity and empire has never yielded good things for followers of Jesus. It mostly introduces opportunities for corruption and for the church to lose much of its vigor. But it is during the time I've been talking about, the time of the decline of Rome, that the monastic movement is born. In the 6th century a man named Benedict from an Italian town called Nursia he gathers some of his friends and he goes as far as he can get away from the influence of the empire. They start a Christian community dedicated to a life of prayer, service, community and education. It is a monastery. And for almost a thousand years, much of the sustaining faith in Jesus was preserved not in the kings and popes and trappings of wealth and power, but in these small communities of faith. Often life in the monastery is portrayed in ways that are legalistic and joyless, but people who have been part of these communities and who have visited them know that is far from the truth. The people who started the monasteries were regular people living in desperate times. They found something to live for in community with one another. The records we have of their life together shows that they worshiped and sang together and that they knew how to share what they had. They raised crops and prepared meals and brewed beer and showed generous hospitality to everyone who showed up on their doorstep In those days, life was precarious in ways we can hardly imagine. But in the face of that, these people knew their lives belonged to God and that come what may, they were on their way to meet their Redeemer. They were not clinging tightly to things of the world that would never save them. They were being held by a God who could it wouldn't be a bad way to live. Christian life can still be sculpted by these values. We can work harder to return to the core identity of our faith, and we can place our trust in God. We can live generously, refusing to hold our possessions too tightly. We can serve the church by serving Christ and others rather than by simply preserving an institution. We can pay close attention to what we are teaching our children. We can show hospitality to our neighbors. And we can live joyfully together, singing and praying, eating and drinking together, learning God's stories and loving one another. If these things are our priorities, then we are living the gospel Many of us may feel like Isaiah felt in chapter 6. Surrounded by a sometimes threatening, frightening, alienating secular world, we see ourselves as too caught up in its trappings. In Isaiah's words, we are people of unclean lips, surrounded by people of unclean lips, not holy enough to carry the good news of Christ to the world. But perhaps instead of worrying so much about our inadequacies, we might be inspired, as Benedict was, to gather with a group of fellow believers and to do the best that we can to remember what matters about Jesus. One step at a time. One day at a time. To live a life shaped more and more by those things. If it seems as if this task is too great and we are not enough, perhaps this will help. One member of a modern Christian community near to the place where Benedict of Nursia lived says it this way. In Italy, we have a saying, when there is no horse, a donkey can do good work. I consider myself a little donkey, he said. There are so many purebred horses that run nowhere, but this old donkey is getting the job done. You and me, let's go on doing this job like little donkeys, and don't forget, it was a donkey that brought Jesus Christ to Jerusalem. We cannot do it on our own, and the beginnings might sometimes seem frightening, but God has promised to be faithful if we will only allow ourselves to be swept up in the story of Jesus. We can be holy seeds, ready to grow, ready to grow in the love of God. And we can say with a hopeful heart those words of Isaiah, Here I am send me Amen